Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, A People with a Purpose, Worship. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Friends, as we trust in the grace of God and the compassion of Christ, let us together confess those things that prevent us from being able to fully live in God's love and peace. Please join me in the prayer of confession printed in our bulletins. Gracious God, we hear the invitation of the psalmist to come and bow before you in worship and prayer, but we confess that we are too often overcommitted and too busy to slow down and be silent before you. We are told to sing of your praise and tell of your glory, but we confess that our attention is distracted by other things. We know the benefit of counting our blessings and giving you thanks for your abundant goodness, but we confess we often focus instead on those things we do not have and think we need. Help us, O Lord, to be honest with ourselves in this hour of worship as we seek to be honest with you. Help us to reconsider our priorities and more willingly bow before you as Savior and Lord, the only one worthy of our worship and praise. Together we pray this in the silence of our hearts, in Jesus' name. In the words of the psalmist, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice, for the Lord is coming to judge the earth. God will judge the world with righteousness and his people with his truth. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Would you stand and affirm with me our faith through the words of the second Helvetic confession? God alone is to be adored and worshiped. This honor we import to none other according to the commandment of the Lord you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We teach that God is to be adored and worshiped as he himself has taught us to worship, namely in spirit and in truth, not with any superstition, but with sincerity according to his word. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. It is found in your pew Bible on page 479 if you'd like to follow along there. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also his. 
The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, St. John, the fourth chapter. We're going to pick up our gospel lesson in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is already having with a Samaritan woman on the top of Mount Gerizim. And so the story begins. The woman said to him, meaning Jesus, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, for the privilege, the gift of worship this day, We give you thanks and praise. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to bow our hearts before you, to lift our voices to you, and now to sit beneath the teaching of your word. May the words of my mouth, may the reflections of our hearts, that which we will hear, that which we will retain, that which we will think about this week, may all of it be pleasing to you and bring honor and glory to you. For these and all things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Alfred Loisy once said, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, and what came was the church. Now, take that any way you want. I think of two different ways. He may say, well, what a great disappointment this is. Or he may be telling us exactly what our primary purpose and reason for being is. In our own mission statement, we affirm that Tabernacle Presbyterian Church is called by God, led by faith in Jesus Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the kingdom of God, perhaps exactly what Mr. Loisy had in mind for us. Given everything else we may feel like we are called to do, it is safe to say that the church is called to carry on the ministry of Jesus, And that ministry we may summarize in the great commandment, love God with all that you are, heart, mind, body, and soul, and the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. But what is it that makes the church the church? What is it that sets this gathering of people apart from any other club or organization we may belong to? That's the question 
we'll be focusing on during the next couple of weeks in this season of Lent. What is our reason for being? We dare to call ourselves the people of God, but what does that mean? And how does that shape what we do and who we are? What does that inform us about as we seek to be this, the people of God? I have a Doonesbury cartoon somewhere in my files that shows the minister standing before the congregation, clipboard in hand, doing the morning announcements, as I did this morning. He begins, okay, flock. I thought I'd run through this week's activities. This Monday, of course, we have a lecture on nutrition from a celebrity personal chef. Tuesday and Thursday will be our regular 12-step nights, at which point he is interrupted by someone who asks, so what kind of addictions, alcohol, drugs, something else? Reverend Scott says, well, those are our full 12-step program meeting nights. Some of the others we've cut down to nine steps. On Friday night at 6.30, we have the organic gardening class. And then on Saturday night, we have a special treat, aerobic male bonding night. So bring your sneakers. Any questions? Well, someone near the back asks, yeah, is there gonna be a worship service this week? No, sorry, he says, been canceled. There was a conflict with the self-esteem workshop. Yeah, that ooh is the appropriate response, isn't it? I mean, given the tab is a seven-day-a-week church, if you look at the activities that go on here Monday through Sunday and again each week, we have an extremely full calendar. So I take to heart the sarcastic kind of dig that Gary Trudeau gives as it brings into focus the primary purpose of the church. No matter what else we say or do, the church is called to be the people of God who worship God. This one act is at the center of who we are, and without it, we are not. A baseball team that does not play baseball is not a baseball team. A symphony orchestra that does not make music is not a symphony orchestra. A church that does not worship God is not a church. It may look like a church, may act like a church, it may call itself a church, but unless the experience of worship is at the center of its life together, it's not a church. In the words of Martin Marty, the one thing the church can do that the culture cannot do is praise God. And so praise God we must, and praise God we shall. We listen to the words of the psalmist this morning, Psalm 95, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is who we are. This is whose we are. And this is what we have been called to do, exclusive of all else. Everything else we do flows out of this defining center. If for some reason there was a catastrophe that struck our church family such that we had to cancel all of our other programs and activities, the one essential, the one non-negotiable for us would be the worship of God. 
We see that in congregations who lose their buildings to fire or to some natural disaster. In the midst of the devastation, they gather to worship. Why? Because this is what the people of God do. Worship God. And in this way, the church becomes for us the catalyst to our faith as it proclaims the word of God to us, the hope and the promises of God, and as it creates or provides the environment for God's people to come together for that purpose. And then from that, everything else flows. The church serves the function of being the place, or maybe better, the agent, which brings people of faith together in the worship of God. The Christian church was, is, always will be the fellowship of those who live together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we need to clearly understand that Christianity is essentially a community affair. Donald Bailey puts it this way, this does not mean that at its same time, it's not a personal affair. The Christian faith is a relation between an individual soul and God, but this is a relationship that must be realized within the universal community which is called the Church of Christ. This means I cannot be a Christian all by myself. Now, the fact of the matter is we can't be Christian in isolation. While our faith may be intensely personal to us, at the same time, it is never intended to remain private for us. My personal relationship with Christ compels me to be in a relationship with others who also have a relationship with Christ, to be part of a worshiping community. Now, albeit there may be instances in which circumstances prohibit individuals from participating in a congregational setting. We've certainly experienced that during the pandemic, didn't we? There may be those who have, for reasons of health or capability or safety, are not able to be present with the gathered persons or congregation in person. And so we're grateful for the technology that we get to enjoy and use today. We, we welcome those of you who are worshiping from home. And we know how, how meaningful that is, that the church is able to come to you in these settings. But I will challenge us to think of anyone who has a faith commitment or an understanding of faith who then chooses by intention not to be part of a worshiping community. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. This is a unique challenge for the church today in the culture in which we live, a culture that is in continually being influenced by a, a sense of individualism. Yesterday, our session met for our annual retreat, and one of the primary topics of discussion was the church of the future. Increasingly, studies have shown that an overwhelming majority of the population, both inside and outside the church, holds strongly to individualistic views on religion, believing that they can arrive at their own set of beliefs independent of any church or any organized institution. 
And the statistics that support that are sobering. So we need to continue to challenge those who believe that genuine Christianity can be narrowed down simply to me and my relationship with God without regard for those around us, much less the world around us. Now, in no way do I intend to diminish the importance of private devotion. I hope your devotional life, your private prayer life is rich and meaningful to you. Nor am I simply trying to defend the institution of the church, much less its leaders. But the worship of God, public and corporate, is essential to the Christian life. As the church, we are the people of God who are called to worship God together. But what is it that makes worship, worship? What of what we do here is essential? We come to this place, to this time, with these people. We sing, we pray, we hear the word of God read and preached on, we celebrate the sacraments together. Is this what it means to worship? Or is there some quality that is more essential still. Our gospel lesson this morning tells a rather remarkable story of a conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman by Jacob's well on Mount Gerizim. Now, this story offers to us the perfect segue between the series we're just finishing on people Jesus met along the way and now our focus on the importance of worship this encounter was remarkable for many reasons, not the least of which is that it was a conversation between Jesus and a woman, definitely prohibited by Jewish law that a man should ever visit with a woman alone, particularly a woman who was not his wife. And secondly, that she being a Samaritan woman, remember the Samaritans with the black sheep, the outcasts of the Jewish faith, and only to make matters worse, she was a Samaritan woman with a questionable past. She'd been married five times, and the man she was living with was not her husband. You know, pause for a second. If ever you feel like uh, you're not worthy to be in the presence of Christ, if ever you feel like you've done something that was so bad, he would never welcome you, read John chapter 4. Jesus welcomes this woman, embraces this woman, and ends up in a conversation with her that is more spiritual than it is earthly. He begins the conversation by asking her to give him a drink of water and ends up offering her the living water of eternal life. And how do they get there? They start talking about the importance of worship. As a Samaritan, she believed with her people that the worship of God would happen in the, on that mountain, in, whereas the Jews believed that the worship of God was to happen in the temple in Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, Jesus, himself being a practicing Jew, him, was challenged her, challenged them, perhaps challenges us as well today, to see that the true worship of God transcends both time and place. The hour is coming and now is, he says, when the true worshipers will worship the, the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean for us? In spirit and in truth. Well, clearly it means that God is not bound by this place, by this building, by this mode or this manner of our doing things. As Reformed Christians, we believe God can be worshiped in every time and place. And so some of you are already fast forward and thinking, oh, on the golf course or at the lake? And the short answer is yes, absolutely. But the question is, not can we worship there, but do we worship there? And for that reason, certain times and certain places have been set aside for the people of God to gather together to worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in this way suggests that something must happen within us, not just around us. True worship is internal more than it is external. It has more to do with relationship than it does with ritual. True worship has to do with an attitude of the heart, reverence, awe, humility, repentance, submission, words we end up using in the season of Lent particularly. And when these are present, then suddenly the other elements of worship, our prayers, our singing, the reading of scripture, our reflection on the word, are all enhanced. But if those heart attitudes are absent, then all of those other practices can fall into just being kind of empty habits, rote, mechanical for us. So one of the ways we might think about our practice of the faith and our ability to worship is as you come into this place on a Sunday morning, is your heart set on realizing that I am entering into the presence of a living God? That I'm coming to this time and place to do something different than I do any other place, that I'm coming in here to worship that God, which is different than I wonder who I'll get to see and I hope I like the music today and I wonder if the sermon's gonna be any good. Something mysterious happened. Something holy happens when we worship. Worship, like prayer, is the intersection of the human and the divine. In worship, we present ourselves before a holy God. And then when we do that, we can't help but be changed by it. William Temple was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. And when we do that, we are doing something different than we do in any other time or place because it is done in spirit and in truth and suddenly we realize this is the most natural thing we will ever do because it grounds us. It reminds us of who we are and whose we are. It reminds us of our true heart's home. 
To Catch an Angel is the autobiography of a young blind man named Robert Russell. He lives alone on an island in the middle of a river. And quite remarkably, one of his daily activities is to go out rowing. And he does so by means of a fairly simple yet very ingenious little mechanism. At the end of his dock, he has placed a bell which is attached to a little motor of sorts and a timer, think in terms of a metronome, set so that the bell rings every 30 seconds. And with that system in place, he can row up and down the river, judging his distance by the sound of the bell. And wherever he may go, it is the sound of the bell that leads him safely back home again. Robert Russell describes it this way. The river lies before me, a constant invitation, a constant challenge. And my bell is the thread of sound along which I return to a quiet base. Friends, worship is the ringing of the bell for us. And without that thread of sound, it's very easy for us to get distracted and disoriented, lost on the river of life. But it is worship that brings us back home again. If the Lord is to be the Lord, then worship must have a place of priority in our lives, writes Richard Foster. For here we are reminded of who we are and whose we are, to whom we belong. In worship, we're reminded that we are a people with a purpose. We are the people of God called to worship God. And everything else we do flows from this defining center. So we come to worship God. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we live in a world of distractions. So we thank you for the invitation you've given to us, the reminder that you've given to us, the challenge that you've given to us to put you and you alone at the center of our lives, you and you alone at the center of our worship. So Lord, we thank you. May we live into who you have called us to be. This is our purpose. So we thank you for the privilege, the opportunity. To your honor and glory we pray. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time 
for Sunday with Tab.